Welcome back, dear friends and listeners of the Sparker podcast to this somewhat special episode. In this episode, you will be stuck with me because I will talk about what I've learned about self-management methods and systems. Not too long ago, I published a blog post about exactly that topic, and I was quite surprised by how popular that um, topic appears to be and how big the demand was for those kind of productivity tips and tricks. One hypothesis of um, why I believe maybe this topic was so popular is that now that most of us are stuck in home office and the whole work life, private life starts to blur and melt, um, maybe those tips uh, are useful to to free yourself up a little bit. So while definitely not being groundbreaking or crazy new ideas, maybe one or two of them you can add to your repertoire and will help you with your productivity and also with just switching off. So without further ado, I hope you will have some valuable insights with this kind of special episode of the Sparker podcast with me, Christian Lundskartansen. Most likely, I am not the only one who wishes to be less stressed. That's why I've set out to find practical self-management methods, productivity tips and other approaches that help me to reduce stress or to cope better with high demands. As Bruce Lee once said, Don't wish for an easy life, wish for the ability to handle a difficult one. As humans, we have a stress response when, for example, a situation is new to us, seems unpredictable or uncontrollable, or when we associate the situation with social threat, for example, the fear of embarrassing ourselves in front of a crowd. It is important to note, however, that stress is not negative per se, Stress can have both positive and negative effects on our well-being, performance and productivity. The relationship between stress and performance was studied already over 100 years ago by psychologists Robert M. Yerkes and John Dillingham Dodson. Their research results became known as the Yerkes-Dodson Law. The Yerkes-Dodson Law states that stress is beneficial to a certain degree in certain activities, because it brings energy and drive. If the optimal amount of stress is exceeded, however, performance decreases again. The optimal amount of stress depends on the activity. Those who have to work on complex tasks or do intellectually challenging things need concentration and can tolerate less stress. While on the other hand, Routine tasks or well-trained activities can even benefit from stress, and you might even get a productivity boost. If you want to increase your resistance to stress in general, you can look into the concept of resilience. Resilience is a term originating in material sciences and describes, no surprises there, the resilience of materials. The good news is that every individual can make a contribution to increasing his or her own resilience. Indeed, resilience research shows that, among other things, 
Creating meaning in life or cultivating geographically close relationships significantly increase resilience and therewith increase your resistance to stress and your capacity to regenerate better after stressful situations. In the words of the philosopher Nietzsche, when you have a strong why, no how is too hard. If you want to dive deeper into findings from stress and resilience research and learn nine concrete tips, you can do so in my interview with the stress researcher Professor Gregor Hasler. You find that interview in the Sparker podcast catalog or online on the Sparker blog on sparker.ch slash blog. Now going back to the purpose of this episode. The goal is to help us cope better with the demands of everyday work life and to establish methods, tricks, or self-management systems that support us in achieving that goal. So before I will talk about a few approaches that I already use myself or want to experiment with, I would like to offer a question here as a starting point that everyone must answer for themselves. As the name implies, self-management methods can only work and help with your productivity if they fit into your daily life and are adaptable to your individual challenges. That's why you need to ask yourself a question first. And this powerful question comes from Jerry Colonna. And I heard about it when he was the guest in the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. I believe it's a very potent starting point for your own reflection. And the question is, ask yourself, in what ways are you responsible for the conditions and situations you are not happy with? The answers to this question are as varied as our individual circumstances. The answers can range from very simple, such as, I shouldn't read emails before I go to sleep, to very complex circumstances, such as, I've grown apart from my partner, but um, I'm afraid to break up. This question of responsibility is primarily not intended to put the burden on your shoulders or cause further stress. But it's to show that in many situations you can exert more influence to improve the circumstances than you might think. This kind of self-efficacy, the ability to contribute to improving the situation yourself, is an effective antidote to stress, which, as we know, can be caused by the loss of control. So, please take pen and paper and invest enough time for your own reflection and for identifying your own personal fields of action. So just to be clear, none of us and me included managed to consistently stick to our resolutions or productivity habits and keep them for an extended length of time. Research has shown that it is more promising to formulate resolutions where we can start a new behavior as opposed to where we try to stop a behavior. So for this reason, I have formulated my approaches and resolutions so that they can be started as new behaviors. 
and I share my approaches and resolutions, so to speak, with you in the hope that one or two methods may serve you as an inspiration or as a starting point for your own self-management systems. Number one, meetings and the right choice of schedule. The programmer, investor and co-founder of Y Combinator in Silicon Valley, Paul Graham, distinguishes between the maker's schedules and the manager schedules, which means, as the name suggests, differentiating between the scheduling and the daily organization of makers and managers. Managers, they coordinate, they delegate, they decide next steps. To do this, you need meetings, which are usually incorporated into the daily structure at hourly intervals. A good manager's day is a good meetings day where many things were clarified, planned, organized, delegated, and decided. For makers who code, build, write, or develop new concepts, this hourly cycle is a complete disaster. Because nothing ambitious can be created in an hour, and interruptions are costly. Creative, ambitious work requires undisturbed, half or maybe even full days. Accordingly, a single, inconveniently scheduled meeting can ruin an entire creative day by cutting up the morning or afternoon. To put it another way, the creative productivity of makers requires a different schedule than the coordinative productivity of managers. This results in several things. For example, you have to ask yourself which schedule is the right one for your own goals and priorities and block out appropriate time slots in your schedule. On certain days or at certain times, each of us is sometimes a manager and sometimes a maker. And we have to take this into account by creating time slots for ourselves. So for example, I block out at least every other Friday where I don't take appointments, phone calls or read emails. This guarantees that I have a window of time to be creatively productive. And this in turn, takes pressure off the other days. Another example. It is effective to schedule meetings at off-peak times and to concentrate them on one half of the day so that as much of the morning or afternoon as possible can be used for demanding creative work. With that, you're not only doing yourself a favor, but also your coworkers. Here's another point. You have to ask yourself if purely speculative meetings, like to get to know someone by grabbing a coffee, quote unquote, or meetings without the clear reason for your involvement, are they really valuable enough to risk your focused work? That's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while. Last but not least, it is worthwhile to talk to co-workers, customers and other stakeholders just to understand what kind of schedule they are working to. Perhaps collaboration can be improved for everyone in this way. So these have been a couple of examples, ideas and different approaches, all related to how to plan your day with the makers versus manager schedules in your head. And now let's move on to tip number two, setting priorities with Eisenhower. 
Setting priorities is one of the great mantras, of course. But which method helps us here reliably and in a very easy way? Most of you might be familiar with the so-called Eisenhower Principle, according to which we divide our tasks into both unimportant and important, and urgent and not urgent. The easiest way to do this is with a matrix. So you have the axis with the important, non-important category on the one hand, and you have another axis with urgent, not urgent. When you span up that matrix, you will create four boxes. And these four boxes are important but not urgent, important and urgent, not important and not urgent, and not important but urgent. So when we look at those four boxes, there is a clear recommendation what to do with tasks that are in those boxes. So, for example, if you have a task in the box which is important but not urgent, you can do it later yourself. If it is important and urgent, you should do it now. <laughs> uh, if it's not important and not urgent, then ignore it. And then, of course, also, if it's not important but urgent, you can delegate it. By dividing our full to-do list into these categories, we create prioritization automatically. To repeat, tasks that are important and urgent, we must tackle ourselves and complete immediately. While unimportant and non-urgent tasks, they can be ignored altogether. Everything that is urgent but not very important can be delegated. For everything that is important but not urgent, we can set the date when we will take care of it ourselves. And when setting a deadline, we can pay attention to what kind of task it is. Remember the maker versus manager scheduling and the Jörg Dutzen law. Is the task intellectually demanding and requires rest and concentration? Or is it a routine task that can fit into a hectic day somewhere? That was approach number two, and we move on to a very quick one, approach number three, which is the one minute rule. This is an easy one. If a task can be done in less than a minute, do it right now and get it out of the way. Out of sight, out of mind, and more capacity for the important things. And with that out of the way, let's move to approach or tip number four, which is mental cleanup with routines. The poet W.H. Auden is known for the quote, routine in an intelligent man is sign of ambition. A statement which I fully subscribe to. Routines are very useful in many things. And referring to the Eisenhower principle, we could formulate the routine that at the end of the working day, we always sort the remaining tasks according to Eisenhower. Routines are very useful in many things, and referring to the Eisenhower principle we just heard about before, we could formulate the routine that at the end of the working day we sort the remaining tasks according to Eisenhower, prioritize them, and thus set up a clear plan for the following day. This example of a routine has, among other things, the advantages that by writing down tasks 
we have lightened our brain and tidied it up mentally. That way we can start more liberated into the end of the day with family, friends or with our hobby. Because, and this is an important point, the brain is here to generate ideas, not to hold them. And the routine gives us more capacity for new thoughts or focused work. Another routine I find effective is to incorporate some kind of exercise between the end of the workday and the beginning of your leisure time. Whether it is going to the gym, taking a long walk, jogging, doing yoga or whatever it is. Especially in times of working from home, it is important and effective to clearly draw the line between office and home with such routines. This brings me to approach or system number five, email hours. The email inbox must not, I repeat, must not become your to-do list. It is important to me to decide on my most important tasks myself, with the help from Eisenhower, for example. And I must not lose sight of it, just because of the floods of emails. A workday at the end of which I could cross some things off from my to-do list is much more satisfying and better for my productivity than a day in which I primarily answered dozens of emails. If the email flood is too big or demand for undisturbed in-depth work increases, one solution can be to set up a kind of email office hours. For example, we can concentrate our email work in two time slots per day. In an automated out-of-office message or in your signature, you could share this information with collaborators and partners. Here's a simple example. P.S. I work on my emails on weekdays between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning, as well as between 1 and 2 p.m. These email hours can be oriented to the maker's or manager's schedule thus giving us room for maneuver and freedom for focused work. And yet, we are all still available for important concerns of stakeholders every day. When viewing or filtering emails during email consultation hours, we can also apply the Eisenhower principle. Important and urgent tasks in the inbox go to the to-do list for the rest of the day, while unimportant and non-urgent emails can be ignored until we have the time for them. With that, let's jump into approach or tip number six, undivided attention. Multitasking doesn't work for me and harms my productivity, full stop. By quickly switching back and forth between different tasks and topics, we waste energy. And that's why I always ask myself before I read emails or take a phone call, whether I am now able to devote myself to the person or the topic. So for example, if I have a video conference to moderate in five minutes, I will not read emails or take phone calls unrelated to the video conference the five minutes before. If the person's concern is urgent, I can't respond adequately that moment anyway. And if it's not urgent, I don't have to deal with it. The only risk then is that I will be distracted during the video conference and won't be able to give my full attention to the people and issues there. So I ask myself the question, Am I now in a position to invest at least five minutes to process a topic? 
be that in a sense of delegating, scheduling, or responding directly. So I ask myself the question, am I now in a position to invest at least five minutes to process a topic, be that in the sense of delegating, scheduling, or responding directly? And that said, we come to the last point, number seven, which is about the important things in life. One of the most memorable metaphors for me has to do with how we lead our lives and how we use our time. You could also say that this metaphor serves each individual to find their work-life balance. The metaphor goes something like this. We have an empty glass in front of us. Also on the table in front of us are a few golf balls, some marbles and a pile of sand. The golf balls stand for the most important things in life. The marbles are also relevant. And the sand stands for everyday things that also need our attention. Now what happens if we fill the glass with sand first? The glass will be full and neither the marbles nor the golf balls will find a spot. But if we start with the golf balls, we will also be able to add a few marbles and the sand will find its place somewhere in the cracks and gaps between the golf balls and marbles. And the moral of the story is, if we don't plan for the most important things in life first and make room for them, we run the risk that they won't get the place they deserve at all. Conversely, the everyday things will always somehow find their place. So ask yourself, what are your golf balls, your marbles, and your grains of sand. To finish this off, quite frankly and honestly, I don't manage to stick to my own resolutions every time. Maybe not even half the time. But every time I do, I have improved my everyday life just a bit and enriched it with quality of life and I've reduced stress. And the fact that the approaches or resolutions or ideas and tips compiled in this podcast episode don't come across as very groundbreaking is more of a strength than a weakness, because that means that they are relatively easy to implement and can still have a high impact. So that's it, dear listeners. You made it through one entire episode of just me talking to you. If you found that material somewhat useful, then you can revisit it in writing. Simply get on my website, which is sparker.ch self-management, and there you will find it all written down with some hand-drawn illustrations from myself and also with a download link if you would like to get it as a PDF. As mentioned in the beginning, this was a special episode of the Sparker podcast because usually I talk to other people who are far more interesting and exciting than what I offered today. So for more exciting conversations with leading minds in technology, innovation and entrepreneurship, please consider subscribing to the Sparker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your favorite shows. 
In all of the previous episodes, you will find, for example, a conversation about storytelling with a former marketing expert at Apple, or a far-ranging conversation about artificial intelligence, how to become more creative in your work, or how to build your personal and professional resilience. I'm looking forward to welcoming you back to another episode soon, where I will uncover the mindsets, tactics and insights of those exceptional people and organizations to enable you, the change makers. It was a great pleasure having you with me in this uh, rather special episode, and I wish you a great day and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.